Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. This is Pastor Ken, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. I'm a senior pastor at Vertical Church located in West Haven, Connecticut, and our weekly podcast is a continuation of the discussion that we've begun on Sunday. It's an opportunity to go deeper into the stories of Scripture. It's an opportunity to truly dig into God's Word in a way that helps provide more meaning and understanding so that we can grow in our faith. And so I'm excited for the privilege of being able to have these conversations with you. Thank you for taking the time to tune into them and be a part of it. And my hope is that truly they would be a blessing to you. Well, through the month of December, we've been talking about the Christmas story. But I've been asking everybody to look at the story through fresh eyes. To not be so familiar in all of our ways of knowing what's coming and how it's already going to go that we miss the nuances and details that the Spirit of the Lord wants to speak to us through. Because too often, when we read Scripture in that way, when we know what's coming, we don't necessarily study how the individuals who were going through the situations that they were facing, how they were in the midst of it, what it took for them to respond in the way they responded, and why that's important to us is because when we face our challenges— their stories should be inspirational to us. And here's what God has so clearly just put into my heart as I've studied this, is that if we would learn to respond the way they responded, God is ready to do for us what he did for them because he is no respecter of persons. It is by faith that God moves in our lives. And faith is what the Christmas story is all about. Faith is trusting that God is who he said he is, and that he will do all that he has promised to do. That's what the characters in the Christmas story discovered. But what we have to sometimes peel away is we have a way of looking at it through tradition. We have a way of looking at it through 21st century eyes that we don't necessarily get into the raw and real details that the, that the people in the stories were facing. And why that's important to us is that our life isn't always comfortable. It isn't always easy. We face challenges, and it's when we face those challenges that's when the rubber meets the road of our, of our faith. What do we do when we're faced with left turns? When, when, when life doesn't go the way we anticipated or expected it to go, these stories represent to us that God's faithful and God never changes. And that's why it's important when we are Bible readers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we are faithful to the scriptures, they should build a capacity in us to trust God the way the people in the stories trusted God. When faced with difficulties and when we don't know what's going on, that's when trust is most apparent because it's trusting God when we don't know that truly he is who he said he is and that he will do what he promised he will do. That is the essence of faith. And our faith grows every time we're willing 
when we're faced with those challenges to respond in that way. And so we've already learned through these ends. We looked at Mary. When Mary was asked to do something by God that didn't make sense in one capacity because as a teenager, when God was asking her through the angel Gabriel that she would be the mother of the Messiah, and she asked the question, but I'm a virgin. In other words, a teenage girl who is, uh, uh, becomes pregnant uh, out of wedlock. I mean, Mary was not married at this moment. And so in essence, God was asking her to put her life at risk because in that culture, that was a disgrace. In that culture, that was something that she could actually be killed for. She had the responsibility from that point to believe and trust that she could persuade Joseph to believe that this truly is God's son that she's pregnant with. Her parents and all the other people in the community. She was asking when she said, I'm a virgin, how will this be? The angel gave her the answer that the spirit of the Lord would come upon her, that God's favor would happen, and that the son that would be born in her would be the son of God. This was the Messiah. And so she said, I am the Lord's servant. And that's such a lesson for us. And what she learned is something hopefully all of us have learned. Hopefully all of us have embraced this fact. Be it done unto me according to your word. In other words, because we are the Lord's servant, we do what God's word says. We covered in the story of the shepherds, we realized that God came to the most lowly, the most, the people that were on the fringe of society, those who felt furthest away from God. Because when we uncovered the story of the shepherds, we realized that they felt unloved. They felt inadequate. They felt unworthy. And God brought them a message of good news, of great joy. Because why? A savior was born for them. And that's what you and I need to take out of this. God knows exactly where we're at. God is for us. And that's the most important element of faith. Because if your heart condemns you, you can't have confidence before God. But God is greater than our heart. I love that passage in 1 John 3. He tells us that God is greater than our heart. Because you and I need to realize it's our confidence in God that grows when we learn to trust Him. When we learn to believe that truly He does love us, that truly He is for us, that truly, no matter what we experience in life, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have nothing to fear. Why? Because He's with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. In other words, God promised He would never leave us nor forsake us. And so faith is those elements of trusting and believing that God is who He said He is. And then last week when we saw these these magi, these wise men that came from the east, they came a long distance to worship the one born king of the Jews. They believed that his kingship was the true Messiah, that his reign would affect their lives. Even though they weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel, they realized that the promise that God had given, that the true promise of the Messiah was not just good news for Israel, but it was good news for all the peoples of the world. Why? Because the promised one that God had spoken about, that he had given reference to through the lineage of Abraham. He told Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He told David that the son that I'm raising up for you will sit on a throne and rule forever. His kingdom will have no end and he will rule all the nations of the world in righteousness and peace and justice. And so these men came looking to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. They came to honor and worship the one that they esteemed as God who had come to them in their need and given to them everything they needed. They saw the one born truly was the king 
But he was more than a king. He was a priest who would reconcile them to God, and he would be the one ultimately as the prophet that would give his life as a sacrifice for their sins. They came. And so today, as we kind of close this subject, I want to pose this idea to us. Think about this. Have you ever noticed that what we see determines what we do? In other words, the way we see a matter, the way we perceive something to be, is in essence what drives how we believe, how we behave. Because our thinking impacts our believing, and our believing impacts our behavior. What we do is driven by what we believe, and what we believe is, is, is uh, accumulated in us. What we believe comes out of how we see, how we perceive something to be. And kind of, I love the Christmas story because Christmas, if you think about it in this respect, Christmas is an understanding of spiritual growth. Mm, what do I mean by that? That sounds crazy, but listen. Do you remember how you were when you were a child? I mean, you couldn't wait for Christmas. Christmas was so exciting. Christmas was something that was so, and why was it exciting? Because as a child, you expected something. You were looking for those gifts that were under the tree. You could hardly sleep at night. You couldn't wait to get up in the morning and be able to open your gifts. And so Christmas was exciting. Christmas was meaningful. Christmas was so precious. It was so just thrilling because a child anticipates the receiving of gifts. But as you grow, you become a teenager. And teenagers expect gifts but don't actually uh, get excited about them. I don't know if you're a parent, if you realize that or not, but, you know, they, they expect something under the tree, but they're not like children. They're not like, you know, rising early and just can't wait to go down and open those gifts and the thrill and the gleam in their eye. No, teenagers are in that kind of middle way position where it's like, yeah, I expect it, but I'm not really all that excited about it. And you find that people, when they grow spiritually, when we first come to Christ and we discover all that God has done for us, we're like little children because we're thrilled of what this will do for us. We're thrilled about how God, what he has done through Jesus and what it means to us. And the gifts that we begin to open are all about us. If we're honest, when we first come into Christ, it is all about us. We're working, you know, God is working on us. God is changing us. God is forgiving us. God is making us new. God is doing all of these amazing things in our lives. And these gifts, even the gift of the Holy Spirit, is to help us and assure us and be there to strengthen us and comfort us and guide us in all the affairs of life. But then as we mature in our Christian faith, sometimes we expect a lot from God, but we're not as excited as we once were. I mean, honest, if we're honest in the sense. But the last echelon of spiritual growth is when you grow and you're an adult and you make Christmas possible for somebody else. See, as an adult, it's not about what's under the tree for you that excites you or thrills you. It's what you are capable and able to do for somebody else. A parent loves being able to give gifts to their kids. They are thrilled when their children open those gifts and are absolutely overwhelmed and oh, so excited and joyful to the one who gives it, 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 it's representative of what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And as much as we were excited as kids receiving gifts, it's far more exciting when you're, when you're the one that's able to give gifts, when you're the one that's able to make Christmas happen for somebody else. I love that because that is a point of spiritual growth. And it is something important because again, here's where I wanna go today. 
How we perceive things is everything. And as adults, we tend to see things in a different way. But let me, let me tell you a story to help this kind of come alive to you. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of being able to take my, my wife and my two children, my two boys at the time, we went to London. We were excited because, you know, I grew up playing soccer, love soccer. My kids ended up loving soccer themselves, which truly on an international level, that's the real football. So we're football fans. And so we wanted to go watch a Premier League game. And so we went in August. We had the opportunity. I kind of timed it because my kids would be out of school. Um, And one of the challenges when the Premier League season is it, it kind of equates to the American school calendar. So it makes it very, very difficult to be able to watch a live game. But because the season begins in mid-August, we timed our vacation to be able to go. So we were excited. We were going about this. So we had saved for this. We had planned for this. This was an amazing time. And so we go early in the morning down to John F. Kennedy uh, um, Airport to get ready and to take our trip. And so we park in long-term parking. We get all of our bags together, take the airport shuttle over, and get to the to, to the uh, terminal that our plane is, is, and my wife noticed at that point, she had forgotten her cell phone in the car. And so as a good dutiful husband, I'm like, oh babe, I'll go back for it. And that was quite a journey because you have to go around, go all the way back, run all the way through there, get back. And so in the period of time that it took me to get back, the line had amassed. We had gone down early to get you know through customs, to get through security, to get our tickets and everything else assessed. But now we had been delayed. And so by the time I get back, we get through it. They don't issue us a boarding pass. They tell us that we'll get it at the gate. So it's still early in the morning. We got down. It's an international flight. We had gotten there early. And so we went down where our flight was going to go out. And I took the kids to get some breakfast. And my wife was sitting there and getting impatient going, you know, we don't have boarding passes yet. So she'd go up and ask the person at the counter, um, can we get our boarding passes yet? And they said, don't worry, when the plane is ready to start boarding, um, ones will be issued to you. So we came back, I was trying to read and all, and Catherine kept asking me, go up and check and see if they've got boarding passes for us yet. And we went up a number of times. So finally, they're starting to call passengers to board the plane. And so at this point, my wife can't hold it anymore. So Kath goes up and says, hey, do we have boarding passes yet? And the guy's, yes. We have boarding passes for you. So the issue is for boarding passes. Well, my wife looks at them and realizes that the letters and numbers are all different. And so she's like, oh my goodness, we're going to be all spread across this plane. We had planned this for so long. Oh my goodness, we're not even going to be flying next to one another as we journey to London. Oh, that's a bummer. Oh, and so she's getting kind of bummed and going, oh babe, I'm not going to be sitting next to you. I'm going to be sitting next to strangers. Maybe we're going to be in the middle of people. Oh my goodness. Oh, and kind of getting bummed out. So all of a sudden I'm like, you know, don't worry about it, babe. It'll, it'll be all right. We'll get there. And so as we're getting on and we're, we're called last, some of the last people to come up as we're entering the plane, the stewardess is pointing not to the right where everybody else is going. She's pointing to the left that we're to be seated to the left. So as we get into the plane and head to the left, whether you realize it or not, what I'm about to tell you is they had given us and issued us boarding passes to go first class. Now, amazing, we didn't pay for first class tickets. 
for whatever reasons, they were waiting for the plane to be full, and then they gave us the ability to sit in first class. Man, doesn't that change everything? When you see it from that point of view, it's no longer a bummer. It's no longer, oh, man, we had planned on this. We're going di- to be separated. No, each of us had our own birth. They had, we were all right next to each other, but each of us had a first-class birth for an international flight. Man, that was amazing. Truly, we were thankful to God for that. And why I tell you the story is because doesn't perception change everything? The person that issued the ticket knew exactly what that meant, but we didn't know what it meant. And because we perceived it in a way that, oh, we're going to be separated. It's going to be kind of a bummer going there. It went from anything. It was anything but a bummer. It was the most exciting plane trip we had ever taken and still to this date have ever taken. That was just phenomenal. And so the point that I want to ask you is when you look at Christmas, what do you see? I mean, when you look at Christmas, do you see all of the decorations around your house, the beauty of the tree that you decorated, the lights that are on it, the way you decorated your house outside? I mean, what do you see? Do you see all the presents? Do you see all the stuff that's under the tree? What do you see when you see Christmas? I mean, many of us have different perspectives. Maybe when you see the Christmas tree, you're bummed out because you realize that it's going to cost all those presents under there. Oh my goodness, we have to pay for them. And what did we do? Oh no, our credit cards are maxed out and now we have to spend months to pay for all of this. Some of you are stressed out because man, all of this brings so much extra work. Christmas and getting the house clean and getting the meal ready and all the people who are coming over and it's crazy and oh my goodness, we're excited that some members of the family are coming and a little bit less excited that some other ones are coming. Y'all know we have some of those in every family, but what? It's like, wow. So sometimes when we see Christmas, we can see it stressfully. For others, maybe this Christmas, when you look at Christmas, it bums you out. You're saddened by it because you realize you're alone. The holidays can do that to us sometimes. They can magnify the conditions of where we're at because sometimes we can be reminded of our greatest failures. Maybe we're alone this Christmas because our spouse is somewhere else. Maybe we're no longer married. Maybe we kind of look at it and say, man, I didn't expect it to be this way. Now that my kids have two Christmases, one with me and one with my my ex. Or maybe someone significant and someone very meaningful in your life is no longer with you this year to celebrate Christmas. And so we're kind of reminded in the Christmas season of that. Now it's during the time of holidays, again, Some of those things can get highlighted and it can cause many people to be depressed during the time of Christmas. So what do you see when you look at Christmas? Because I'd like us to take a look at Christmas from a different point of view. What I'd love for all of us to take a look at, we've looked at the story of Christmas. We've looked at it from the eyes of Mary, what she experienced. We've looked at it from the eyes of the shepherds and what they experienced. We looked at it through the eyes of the wise men and what they experienced. But tonight, or today actually, I'd like you to just think about it in this respect. What does Christmas look like? And what did God see? What does it look like from heaven's point of view? What did, what did heaven see on Christmas? Because what I'm convinced about is that if we could see Christmas the way heaven saw Christmas, 
we would respond to it the way heaven responded. If we could see what God saw, we would respond the way they responded. And that's so important to recognize and understand. It's, that's, I just want to say that one more time because it's so powerful if we let that sink into us, that if, if we could see what heaven saw, I truly believe with all my heart we would respond the way heaven responded. And so here in the story, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. This is found in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And it says again here, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause a great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was there with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So what did heaven see? You see, that day when Jesus was born, heaven saw the answer to our prayers. Heaven saw the, 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 the desire of every single human being. What we all know down deep, all of us have sinned. You know, when Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if we're honest, we all know and are very familiar with our shortcomings. We're very familiar with the things that we've done wrong. That sense of guilt can, can so many times drive us in life, and during the holidays, those can be even magnified all the more. But when heaven saw that day, it saw the Savior of the world being born. That heaven saw that there would no longer be a barrier between God and man. No longer would our sins separate us from God. But now, God had come to earth in the, in the, in the, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God was born. God became human to identify with us. To give us the ability to know him and see him. Because before, God was a mystery to many. Even unto ancient Israel... Because they, when they thought of God, they saw us, uh, the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai burning with fire on the top and fill, you know, covered with smoke. And it was awe-filled and it, they were scared in so many ways because God is so awesome and so magnificent. But Jesus being born, when Jesus grew up, he said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God became personable. God became relatable. God became one all of us could know. Because when you look at Jesus, you know exactly who God is. Because Jesus is God manifested in human form. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. <clears throat> Nothing was made. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nothing was made without him. <clears throat> For he was before all things, and he created all things. And so <clears throat> Jesus 
was God in a way that human beings could truly understand and personally relate to and know God. Heaven saw that the desires of all mankind, the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him this night. That's why I love the passage is the thrill of hope. Because in essence, all that we had ever hoped for now was made real. <clears throat> that God had done what he had promised to do. That God had fulfilled his promise to humankind. The goodness of God. When you read the Old Testament, what you discover is this. Right from the onset of human sin, when you read in Genesis chapter 3, when mankind sinned and when he had been tempted by, by, by Satan to rebel against God and Eve had eaten the food and given it to her husband who ate it and that God said in pronouncement of judgment because he had told them in the day that you eat it, you will die. God promised on that very moment, in that very time, when man had gone and hidden, because the first effect of sin is to hide from God, to run away from God, to cover up. And when God had called to him and said, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where he is. God was trying to say to Adam, do you know where you are? And Adam blamed his wife, and Adam and his wife blamed the devil, and the blame game started, and as human beings, we've always been blaming other people for the misery and problems of the earth. Many even turn it on God, because Adam did. He said, the wife you gave me. In other words, God, it's your fault. You gave me this woman. It's her fault and it's your fault. It's not my fault. Okay? And so in essence, what did God promise? He said to the woman, or he said to the, excuse me, he said to the, to the, to the enemy, he said to the snake, he said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. In other words, the promised deliverer, it was, it was cryptic in one sense, but it was a promise from God that the seed of a woman, now do you think God doesn't know biology? It's in, in the creation of a human being. It's the man who has a seed. It's the woman who has an egg. But he said the seed of a woman, in other words, the offspring of the woman would be divine. He was talking about a virgin birth. He was talking about the coming of the Messiah. He was talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would destroy Satan's control. He, through death and the fear of death, had ruled every human being. And so, in essence, now Jesus came as the deliverer, as it says in Hebrews 2, who through death defeated him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so, in essence, Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. God came. And gave the promise right from the beginning. And now this perfect human had come. The one that God said to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The one that Isaiah had prophesied and said, he would be pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that would bring us peace with God would be upon him and with his stripes, we would be healed. He came as the savior of the world. So what heaven saw that day was the joyous fulfillment that God was faithful, that God did everything he promised to do, that the savior had come, the savior was born. And that's why heaven rejoices. That's why Jesus, when telling the story to understand the heart of God, he told this in, in, in Luke chapter 15. He said that it's like this. If you want to know the kingdom of God, it's like a man who had a hundred sheep 
and one wandered away, and he left the ninety-nine and went after the one. And when he found it, he put it on its shoulders, he brought it back, and for joy called all of his friends to celebrate with him at the, at, at the found sheep. And then he gives us the interpretation, so it is in heaven, that the angels rejoice at one sinner who comes home. God the Father made it possible for every single human being to come home. Jesus was bringing the fulfillment that God had sent his son to seek and save that which was lost, to bring the lost home. Now there were no barriers. Now there were no, no separations. That The Savior of the world. So what did heaven see? The, re, uh, the, the, the reunion that God so desired with human beings, that the restoration of his plan, that humans would fulfill his will and live in harmony and unity and love with him. That God truly is a father and he wanted us to be as children to him. That's what heaven saw. The good news, the gospel is this, that God, the gospel has four parts that we need to understand. The gospel doesn't start with just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news of God begins in a created world that God had made in perfect in beauty. That everything God made in Genesis 1, he said it was good. But he said the one thing that was not good in Genesis 2 was that man would be alone. So God makes the man and the woman in his own image and in his likeness. And he gives them dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over all the living things that are on the earth. And what God's design was that man would rule the earth in the love and wisdom of the Almighty. That God and man together would reign over the things of earth that God was sharing his authority with human beings, that man and God would work in perfect union and that man was to spread what he experienced in the Garden of Eden over the whole world, that God had created, but now he gave man the ability and capacity to create things himself, to take the good things that God created and form and fashion things that would benefit other human beings. They would, he would build and, and do things and, and, and cause the world to thrive and flourish under the goodness and grace of Almighty God. But what happened? The second part of the gospel story. Because God made a good world and gave us the authority over it. But what did man do? Man rebelled against God. Man went his own way. So the heartache and the pain that the earth is so full of, the brokenness of our world is the, is the responsibility of man's rebellion. Man's following the deceitful ways of a wicked one who entered the garden and deceived man and to cause them to rebel against Almighty God. But that's not the end of the story. God sent his one and only son into the world to do what? To pay the price for human sin. Man couldn't save himself, but God came and, and brought the savior of the world, the one who would make it possible for every man, woman, and child to be reunited with him, to, to know him intimately and personally. And then the last phase of the gospel is that now God's plan is being fully and totally restored, that we have a new status, that we are born again. The Bible said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things are new. Jesus gave us his right standing. The Bible said, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, now we have gained a status. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And now 
As we await Jesus' return, we are his body. So we are doing, or that is in the intent or desire of God, that we would do the works of Christ on earth. Jesus said, verily, verily, the things that I do shall you do also. And greater things than these shall you do. For I send my Holy Spirit to be with you, to be in you. And God is desiring to see his world thrive and flourish, that the brokenness of our world can be restored through the power of the gospel, that Jesus is king. So when you look at this from heaven's point of view, the kingdom of God has been restored on earth. The kingdom of God has come and that his desire is that things be done on earth as they are in heaven. And how will that be? Through the reign of the Messiah, who comes first and foremost to reign in our hearts, first and foremost to live in us because God does his best work in us so that he can work his plans out through us. And so God is at work in us. And all of that was made possible because of what happened that day in Bethlehem. So when you see what heaven saw, heaven saw the fulfillment of the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the salvation of humankind, the restoration of the brokenness of our world, the ability for humans to be healed and delivered and set free, for humans to be restored and to fulfill the plan and purpose of God for their lives, then no longer would they have a sense of separation or alienation from the living God, but they could know him intimately and personally, that God could have a family on earth. That's what heaven saw. And I believe when we see what heaven saw, that we would respond the way heaven responded. How did heaven respond? In joyous praise and glory. And when we let the beauty of the message of Christmas truly infill our hearts, we're overwhelmed that God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, would actually love us that much. What he, would do, what he has done for us through Jesus Christ, by his willingness to come into this planet and be a human being. You know, Jesus didn't become human for just 33 years. No, the Bible says seated at the right hand of the Father is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. He's all God and all man in one part. He united God and man together. He gave us a covenant. This is something else heaven sees. He gave us a covenant that cannot be broken because it's not between us and God. It's between Jesus and God the Father. And because of that, we are recipients of it because now we are in Christ Jesus. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Christ comes to live in us. He comes to give us his righteousness. He comes to make us children of the living God. And that's why when we see as heaven sees, when we will respond the way heaven responds, we'll be excited and joyous. And that's what my prayer for you is, that you would truly experience the joy and freedom that the Christmas story brings to every single human being. That's why the angel said that day, to the shepherds, I bring you uh, a good news of great joy for all people. See, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done in life, no matter what race, no matter what social status, no matter what situation you find yourself in, today you can know God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, as your father, the one who loves you. And how so? Through Jesus becoming our Lord and Savior. That is truly good news. Man, that is exciting. I hope 
you would be filled with the thrill and excitement that truly God intended the Christmas season to bring for us. That's what we've been talking about, seeing it through fresh eyes, seeing Christmas in a new light. And I do believe as we close today, if we saw what heaven saw, we would respond the way heaven responded. I do know this, the more you believe in the love of God that he has for you, the more it changes you from the inside out. The more confidence it builds in your heart, the more adoration it brings from your lips, the more you recognize just how wonderful, magnificent, and truly good God is. And not just to the whole world, but you can make it entirely personal. Jesus came for you. He is the true gift of Christmas. And like any gift, a gift can only benefit the one who receives it, the one who opens it for themselves personally. And that's what God intended his son to be for every human being, the gift of heaven to you. If you saw as heaven saw, I think you would truly and totally respond as heaven responded. May you have a wonderful Christmas. May you have a great time. I pray that this coming year would be an amazing year for you. And if these podcasts have been a blessing to you, share them with others. Tell other people how they can get a hold of them themselves so that we can all grow together. It's been my joy and my privilege to share these podcasts with you. And to and for as, as I sign off today, my wish for you is to have a wonderful and beautiful and happy new year. <laughs>